continuing in our Advent series, so the book of Ruth, and it's going to be the whole of chapter 2. This is God's word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she had happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaths after the reapers. So she came, and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women, and let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged my young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes that I should that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been made has has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before the lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the lord the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge then she said i have found favor in your eyes my lord for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaths, and do not reproach her. And also put out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephath of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, 
He said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you should go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you once more for being gathered here together today. Father, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit. Lord, we just ask that we would get a glimpse of your glory here this morning. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Word. And Lord, I just pray that the Spirit would work through us and just illuminate in our hearts what you have prepared for Ali to speak today. I just pray for Ali now as he comes to expound God's word to us. God, that this beautiful story of Ruth and Boaz, that Lord, we would see ourselves in it and see Jesus as our great redeemer. God, that we bring nothing to the table, but you provide everything. And we just continue to pray for this Advent season. Lord, that we would not only look back and be thankful for for Jesus being born into this world to be our saviour. But Lord, we as your people would look forward to the day when he returns. That Lord, he is coming as a king and will come to judge the nations of the earth. And that Lord, that he will come and make all things right again. So I pray that you just put a deep longing in our hearts for that, Lord. That we know that nothing of this world can satisfy us. And that Lord, only Jesus will do. And we just pray for our children in their spaces this morning. God, for the leaders as they tell of the the Christmas story. Lord, that our children, their hearts would be set on fire, not for the things of this world and the things that that our um, current world would tell us Christmas is, but Lord, that these children would grow to know the true meaning of Christmas and that, Lord, that they would worship with all their hearts just as we as their parents and adults would do so this morning as well. So, God, we just thank you and pray for your presence and for your glory to be felt here this morning. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Steph, uh, for that. Um, Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all. I'm just going to let you in a bit of a secret. I said at the start of the first service as well that I have this uh, fear every time I stand up here. And there's a a healthy weight uh, and fear when you come up to, to preach God's word, but uh, there's also another irrational fear about this microphone being out to get me. And uh, every time I get up, I have this fear that uh, during the the singing at the start that my microphone's on, everyone's going to hear me sing. So you don't need to hear that. Uh, One time in the past, I actually had a hole in my pocket. The battery pack fell down my leg, and I had to stand rooted to the spot for the the next while uh, to to not let on uh, that it was on my foot at that stage. So uh, that's the, the fear that I get up with this morning, so you can be praying for me as uh, we go through this. But we're in uh, this uh, third week of Advent, and uh, this series, The Scarlet Thread. And we've been looking at the lives of these different women in the Bible, uh, different circumstances that they all face. We looked at Tamar uh, two weeks ago, and then last week, Rahab. Next week, Bathsheba. And then this week uh, is the story of Ruth. And all of these different women have different circumstances that they face, different aspects Uh, to their lives, different aspects of of mess in their lives, brokenness, pain, suffering, loss, sinfulness, and shame. But the the one thread, the single scarlet thread that is tying each of them together and weaving them all together is the thread of God's grace. 
through their life as it seeks them out, as it finds them, as it rescues them and draws them in, weaves them into God's redemptive story for mankind. And that's a thread that will continue today as we look at the story and life of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a great book, if for no other reason that it's short. It's only four, uh, four chapters, four pages. So if you don't like a big, bulky, chunky book to read, if you like a wee short story, Ruth is fantastic. And in Ruth, in these four chapters and four uh, pages, there's just so much detail, there's so much to unpack, uh, there's so much force in these four chapters. I'm going to try and do some of that uh, today. Uh, there's a wee bit of something for everybody. There's a love story, so if you like a romantic story, a love story, uh, there's a story between Boaz and Ruth here. If you're not so much into a love story, there's, we live in Refrain, many of us. We were here in Refrain this morning. Uh, one of our major passions in life is hearing about uh, a property deal going down or a bit of exchange of land somewhere. We love to talk about that stuff. So there's some of that in here. There's uh, farming talk as well. There's, uh, there's a, a famine and then there's a, a harvest. There's family tragedy, there's family loyalty. But most of all, the theme of this story and the theme of this book is redemption. And it's the theme of uh, the evidence of God's redeeming love for not just Ruth, but also for us. And I hope that that's what we'll take away as we walk through this uh, this morning. Just want to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour through the book of Ruth. We've read from chapter 2, but those not familiar maybe with the book of Ruth, uh, I want to just go back to uh, the start in in chapter 1, just to see the background and see what leads us up to this point in the story. Uh, We'll we'll spend part of this morning in in chapter 2, but we'll really be looking at the book as an overview as well. So as I said, it's a short book. Go home, read the whole thing. It doesn't take very long to do, uh, but it's a great book. So in chapter 1, we start off, we see at the very start of chapter 1 that there's a famine in the land around Bethlehem, and uh, there's this famine, and we meet this uh, man called Elimelech. Elimelech is the head of his household. He's the, the father, the, the husband to Naomi, um, and he's looking around at this famine situation. He's thinking, things are getting rough. Things are getting a bit tricky here. I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to get concerned about this, so I'm going to up and, and lift my family and take them to Moab. And it seems like a fairly reasonable, responsible thing for a father to do. One of his main uh, roles was to provide for his family. And things were maybe a bit better in Moab. But the only problem with moving to Moab was that the Moabites lived there. And the Moabites were distant descendants of uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, they really, uh, their, their line really started from, uh, from Lot and this incestuous act between Lot and his daughters. And, and from that point, they continued to make decision after decision that took them away and further away from God's law and made them more and more ungodly and known for their wickedness and their evilness. And God warned his people uh, that they were not to live among them, they were not to mix with them, they were not to worship with them. Such was their ungodliness. So we start to see maybe that Elimelech's decision wasn't maybe the best idea in the first place. But he goes there anyway, he takes the family there, and we're told sometime later that Elimelech dies. He has two sons, uh, and he's Naomi, and uh, Naomi's left with her two sons, who have both taken two Moabite women as their wives, as Orpah and Ruth. Two sons then, uh, they're married for about ten years to Orpah and Ruth, uh, they have no children themselves, and then they both die as well, leaving Naomi destitute, in poverty, with little means of support, and with her two daughters-in-law in tow. We're told that Naomi goes to set out to return to Bethlehem. Uh, to return, she's heard that the harvest has come in, and she's thinking, there's nothing for me here in Moab. I'm going to return to Bethlehem. 
But she says to the two girls, she says, listen, you're to leave me. Don't go with me. Don't return with me. You stay in Moab. This is where your family are from. This is where you're from. You make a life here and we'll go our separate ways. And after some protest, Orpah uh, returns to Moab and agrees to return, but Ruth refuses to leave and she clings to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And we see these beautiful words from Ruth in chapter 1, where she says, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. We see this, this loyalty and this steadfast love of Ruth demonstrated towards her mother-in-law here. And what she's saying is, I'm throwing my lot in with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Our destiny, our fate is intertwined. I'm not, I'm not leaving you. I'm not abandoning you. I am staying with you. No matter what comes, there's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be hardships along the way. But your people will become my people. And your God will be my God. And we see this loyalty and this steadfast love of Ruth. And as they return, they come back to, De- uh, to, to Bethlehem and they're, they're destitute. They've lost their, their family. There's real uncertainty for the future, how they're going to survive. And they come back into uh, Bethlehem and we see in verse 19 of chapter 1, people are sort of saying, we're, we're told there's, there's a stir in the town. And people are saying, is this, is this Naomi? And there's, there's obviously a bit of talk about this. Naomi's returned from Moab. Who's this girl that she's got with her? This Moabite daughter-in-law that she's got with her. And there's all this chat and all this stir as a return and we see something of Naomi there and how she is processing all of this all these things that have happened here and she says do not call me Naomi but call me Mara for the Lord has dealt with me bitterly she's feeling the bitter weight of all these tragedies and hardships that she's been through and they were empty they were uncertain and they were destitute hopeless and they were without protection or cover they were in need of saving, they were in need of rescue, and they were in need of redeeming. And that's where Boaz enters the story. Start of chapter 2, we're told that Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, a worthy man of the clan. We're told about his character, we're told that he's worthy, that he's righteous, that he's a good man. And then Naomi goes on to say that he's a close relative of ours, one of the redeemers, one of our redeemers. He's a, he's a kinsman redeemer. And we just need to take a couple of minutes just to uh, see the significance of this, understand the, the role of Redeemer, what it means to redeem, and the, the role of this kinsman Redeemer. And the word Redeemer means someone who repays, someone who buys back, someone who rescues or recovers. And God had instituted different uh, means in the Old Testament of, uh, of bolstering the family structures, of, of providing for the care for the poor and for the needy, give hope to widows and orphans, and place responsibilities on, on male members of the family. And these kinsman redeemers were some of the, way, and the means in which they would do that. There's, there's uh, different roles that they would have had, but two of the main roles and two of the roles in this case for Boaz in the context of Ruth and Naomi were that firstly the, the redeemer uh, would have the opportunity, say a, a male relative died and they had property or land, and that, that would pass to their wife, but the, their wife in, the, in those times in that society couldn't really make much of that land and, and wouldn't have had a means of making a living. So often they would have had to sell the land. They were told that Naomi had this land to sell, and she was going to have to sell it just to survive, just to, to make money to buy food. And the land would pass out of the family. So the kinsman redeemer would be able to come in and, uh, and pay for that land, buy that land, and therefore giving money to uh, the widow to be able to survive. And also where there was a childless widow in the family. So in this circumstance, Naomi had two sons who had both died. 
uh, and they had no children. There was nobody to carry on the family name. There was nobody to carry on the lineage. So in that scenario as well, the kinsman redeemer would be able to step in to the obligation to marry the widow and to provide the child to carry on the family lineage. And the redeemer would have to be a close blood relative, would have to have the wealth to pay for the property and also the willingness to redeem the, the widow as well. And that's the context. That's some of the background to the book of Ruth. That's where we're up to. And that is what the context of what Boaz is potentially going to offer, as we'll see as we'll go through, as a redeemer for this family. But there's a number of things in this book as a whole that I think really speaks to us and I want to speak on this morning. And the first thing I think, and I encourage you all to read the whole book and see how it fits together. But the first thing I think we read in the story, it becomes very clear that God is very much in the small details of our life. There is no happening so insignificant or random that he has not ordained it or planned it or foreseen it. You know, sometimes unexpected things happen to us and we, uh, we say to people, oh, that was so random, wasn't it? That was really random. I can't believe how random that was that that happened to us. Emily and I were in Edinburgh a few weeks ago and we were out for something to eat one night and uh, the guy that was serving us uh, up and said to Emily, are you guys from Belfast? And Emily was like um, in Edinburgh, she was trying to think of somewhere that somebody might have heard of in, in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, she completely ignored Kate's Bridge in Rathfair Island and she went straight to Bam Bridge uh, said, no, we're from Bam Bridge and the guy says, all oh, right, okay, it's just, uh, I'm from Cavan but my girlfriend is from Kate's Bridge. And we, Emily's like, what? That's literally where we're from. So you go to Edinburgh, this big, big city, you're talking to somebody at random, and you're connected to somebody who lives half an, a mile down the road from you. And we sat down, we were talking about how random this all is, how random it is that you go somewhere like that and you meet somebody from the metropolis of Kate's Bridge. But life's not random. Life's not random. God is in the detail of all that happens. And there's a couple of instances in this text where I don't want to say that scripture is, is sarcastic because we're not supposed to uh, talk about sarcasm. We're not supposed to appreciate sarcasm. It's supposed to be the, the, the sinful humor. I quite like it though. But what I would say is scripture is quite tongue-in-cheek, I think, in a way it has uh, written some of these things. Ruth, we see at the start of chapter 2, uh, says, uh, ask Naomi if she can go to the field to gather grain. And Naomi says, yes, off you, off you go. So she goes to the field. And then, uh, sort of chapter 2, it says that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was part of the clan of Elimelech. She just happened to come to this part of the field. Just a big coincidence. Just by chance, she came to this part of the field. We've got this Moabite girl who happened to come across Naomi after there happened to be this famine in a foreign land and this family happened to come to her, her country, her, her town. She happens to marry this son who dies and then she happens to come back with her mother-in-law against all advice and all uh, counsel back to Bethlehem and then she happens to, to come into this field of Boaz who happens to be a redeemer, happens to be a close relative, one who can rescue and redeem her. And there's nothing by chance in any of this. God has ordained every step of this way. Every t- twist and turn, God was in the detail of all of this. And none of it is by chance. 
God's in control. He's sovereign. Even through the, the catalogue of disasters, we've heard some of the, the hardships, of some of the things that Ruth and Naomi have been through. But God is in control and he is sovereign over all the disaster, all the, the, the hardships that Ruth experienced and went through. All these events, big and small, will ultimately lead Ruth to encounter Boaz and her redemption. She encounters her redeemer through all these little steps and big steps along the way. And God is just as intrinsically involved in your story and my story as he was in Ruth's. He's just as aware and just as connected to the small details of your life as he was to Ruth's. I want us to take heart this morning that his plan for you does not leave things to chance. He doesn't leave things to randomness. And sometimes God will allow things to happen, hardships and suffering in our lives. And maybe, just maybe, through those hardships and those sufferings, they'll ultimately weave his scarlet thread of grace into your life and draw you closer to him. I don't say this lightly or glibly at all, and some of you have gone through horrendous things and are continuing to go through awful things right now. So I don't say this glibly or try to minimize that at all. But Spurgeon had a quote which says, I've, I've learned to kiss the wave which throws me against the rock of ages. When you're in that trial, when you're in that difficulty and that suffering, it's hard. The journey can be scary and unknown. But maybe, just maybe, those waves of loss or pain or the unknown or the uncertainty or the challenges or brokenness, maybe those waves are causing you to to land upon the rock of ages, land upon God's mercy and his goodness and his grace. God is with you in that. God has purposed all things. Nothing is, you have not been abandoned to randomness or chance, but he is sovereign in the detail of your life. And I hope this can give us some comfort this morning, no matter what you're going through, that God is present. And God is involved in that. He's not absent and maybe, just maybe, through these sufferings, through these hardships, maybe God is rescuing you or rescuing others through that time. Maybe one day you'll look back, not knowing why this is going on right now, but maybe you'll be able to look back and see God's hand, just like Ruth, and drawing you to him through those hardships and sufferings. God is involved in the detail and is sovereign over all things. We see that from this story. Ruth's redemption story with Boaz isn't just a, a personal love story either, and it speaks to something much greater, much bigger, much, uh, it includes all of us. It speaks to a greater redeemer than Boaz, and I want to spend the rest of the time this morning just looking at four different characteristics of our redeemer, Jesus, as portrayed in Boaz, things that we can take from Boaz's life and, and how he treated uh, Ruth, and we see the similarities and the connections how Jesus has treated us as our Redeemer. And firstly, uh, the first uh, characteristic of the Redeemer is that he sees and welcomes the outsider. He sees and welcomes the outsider. See, Boaz sees Ruth first. Long before Ruth sees him in the field, long before she knows anything about Boaz or, or what he can do for her, Boaz has seen Ruth. He's spotted her. He's his gaze has fallen upon her. We see in verse 4, as he enters the field, he sees Ruth and he says, whose young woman is this? He notices her out of 
all the others in the field. He singles her out for his attention. And the response comes back from one of his, uh, one of his servants, one of his workers, uh, that she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from Moab. What's the significance of this? I think there's a significance in this description of Ruth, the young Moabite woman. It means that Ruth was seen as an outsider. She was seen as a foreigner. She was seen as someone who didn't necessarily fit or belong there. She was maybe from, seen as being shady stock as well. She had come from, from Moab. She was a Moabite. So there was concerns about her. There was maybe talk about her. And in being told this, what is Boaz's response? Did he just say, okay, well, I've heard enough. I'm not going to have anything to do with, with Ruth. It seems like there's a lot going on there, and I, I, I don't want any part. Does he ignore her? Does, does he take issue with her, her presence in the field? Does he, does he make her unwelcome? Well, we see his response. No, he doesn't do any of those things. Instead, what he does is he welcomes her, and he makes himself known to her, and he pursues her. And he doesn't care that she's an outsider. He doesn't care that she's a foreigner. And what he does through his actions is he makes an outsider an insider. He welcomes her. And this echoes Jesus with us as well. There's an image here of how Jesus sees us and welcomes us, the outsider. When I talk about the outsider, we're not talking about people out there in their homes this morning. We're talking about us. We were outsiders in the kingdom of God, and Jesus invited us in and made us welcome. It wasn't us who moved towards uh, Jesus. Jesus saw us first. Jesus moved towards us first. But the Bible tells us uh, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were oblivious to who he was, while we were enemies of God, he set his gaze upon us and he moved towards us. Ruth knew nothing of Boaz and we knew nothing of Jesus, but he went and paid the price at the cross for us to rescue us. Jesus, through his ministry, ignored all manners of divides and barriers and, and everything that would sort of set people apart. And consistently, he, he sought out the outsider and made them insiders. He consistently sat with people who others wouldn't. He consistently uh, went to, to approach those who didn't seem to fit in. He welcomed those who others didn't feel should have a seat at the table. There was no outsiders with Jesus. Because he welcomes outsiders in to his kingdom. If you or I feel this morning like an outsider, like a foreigner, like someone who doesn't fit or belong, then we're in good company with Jesus. Long before we knew anything of Jesus, he moved towards us, he saw us, and he pursued us. And no matter who treats you like you don't belong, no matter who treats you like, uh, like you don't fit, that you're a foreigner, that you're an outcast, that you're uh, someone from the outside, Jesus, our Redeemer, will never ever treat you in such a way. He sees us, pursues us, welcomes us, and makes us insiders in his kingdom by his grace. I want us to look at the description of Ruth as well. See, when the description comes back of who she is, she isn't given a name, she's just given a label. She's given this label, the young Moabite woman. As I said, there's evidently been talk about her, uh, some chat about her and where she's come from in her past, and uh, she's a Moabite and, and this is negative connotations but Boaz gave her a name Boaz pursued her Boaz went to her and saw her as a person he didn't label her he didn't care for the labels that others would have put on her 
Jesus doesn't label us either. Jesus won't label us as a foreigner, as an outsider, as someone who the, the scandal is about. Jesus doesn't uh, label us by our baggage or where we've come from or where we've grown up. But Jesus sees us, the person. He calls us by name. He gives us our name. He doesn't look at our label. And it begs the question for us as the church as well, how, in what ways are we welcoming others into uh, the kingdom of God? In what ways are we welcoming people into church, into our church life, into our church family? In what ways are we welcoming people who don't look like us or don't sound like us or don't think like us? What ways, as a church this Advent season, are we welcoming outsiders, the insiders in the community of God and the church? Do we see other people first because of the labels that the world would put on them? Or do we see people as persons there to love, to care for, and to welcome in, to invite in to know this Redeemer, Jesus? So the first mark of the Redeemer is that he sees us and he welcomes in the outsider. He makes outsiders insiders. And the second characteristic is that the Redeemer protects. The Redeemer protects the weak and the vulnerable. Boaz shows concern for, for Ruth's safety and protection. We see in verse 8, uh, he says, like, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in the other, another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Stay in this field. Don't go to other ones because it's not safe there. You'll be safe in this field. He says to the young men uh, that they're not to touch her. And this environment was really risky for a young woman. It was uh, especially for a young woman who had no male figure in her life at that stage to protect her, to give cover to her that, in that society that she was growing up in. It wasn't safe to be a young foreign widow in that place. And we see Naomi say in verse 22, yes, stay with the, stay with the young women because you know, the concern is if she doesn't, she could be assaulted. She's at risk, she's vulnerable, and she's weak. But Ruth is given protection by a word from Boaz. Boaz speaks to the young man. He tells him not to touch her. He gives her protection and protects her as a weak and vulnerable. And we can see from the context, we can see clearly Ruth's vulnerability, her physical vulnerability here, her own pearl. But can we see our pearl in this? We may not have the same physical pearl that, that Ruth had, but we were just in as much need of protection as Ruth was. Spiritually, we were weak and we were vulnerable. We uh, by, by the nature of our sin, we were lost, we were hopeless, we had no future. We faced destruction, we faced God's rightful judgment for our sin and the consequences of that. But Jesus stepped in as our Redeemer to rescue and protect us. And do we see this? Do we, do we have the weight of that sin of what God has rescued us from? Do we see the, the consequences of that? And do we see Jesus' protection for us in the middle of it? Are we aware of the peril and danger that our sin placed us in and the protection of our Redeemer, Jesus? One word from Boaz was enough to cover Ruth with his protection. And one word from Jesus, and he covers us with his protection. We see that we are protected from the perils of sin and from death by his blood. Scripture tells us that we are covered uh, by his blood. Our sin is covered by his blood, is, is paid for in full by his sacrifice. And Jesus has given us eternal protection from sin and from death. And we see Ruth's response there as well in chapter 2. We see her fall before him in gratitude and say, why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner? 
This is such a worshipful response. You see Ruth fall on her face before him, just in gratitude of, of how he has taken her in, how he's rescued her, how he's protecting her. It speaks to us of our response to God. Do we fall and face down and worship before God, the one who has saved us from sin and death, the one who protects us eternally by his blood? So the Redeemer also protects. And thirdly, the Redeemer provides. The Redeemer is a provider as well. Ruth and Naomi are destitute. They're empty. They're hungry. They've got nothing. They've got no means of providing for themselves, no means of eating, no means of uh, sustaining themselves beyond the generosity and the grace of Boaz. We've already seen Boaz tell Ruth to, to gather whatever grain she needs. And then in verse 9, he says, listen, if you're thirsty, go and drink from the vessels that the young men have drawn from. We see in verse 14, there's this mealtime, and he calls her to the table. He calls her to eat with him. He serves her at the table. He, he serves her food at the table. And she eats until she was satisfied and some left over. See in verse 15 that he tells the young men to let her glean among the sheaves in the middle of the field and also to pull bundles for her and leave for her to gather. And remember the, the context here. This is a, a destitute foreigner. And there was provision in the law back then in the Old Testament. There was provision in the law for the poor and needed to be cared for and looked after for the foreigners, for the, the travelers in the country uh, to be cared for by not harvesting to the edge of the field. So you would, leave, you would leave a margin at the edge of the field so that the poor and the needy could come and gather grain to feed themselves. And this practice was, uh, God had ordained this, this practice to happen to care for the, the poor and the needy. And here we have this foreign outsider who was destined to live on the margins of society, destined to glean from the margins of the field, to live in the hedgerows, to be an outside of the community. And here we see her being invited into the middle of his provision, right to the center of his provision in the field. And not only just that, but also invited to come and sit at his table, to be served at his table by the Lord of the harvest. This generous grace just overflowing onto Ruth. She had done nothing to warrant it, nothing to earn it, nothing to expect it. But Ruth had found favor in Boaz's eyes, and his grace and his generosity and his provision just flowed generously onto her, more than she could take. And it's the same for us. All that we have, all that we've been given, has been given to us by God. We owe him for everything. There's nothing, every breath that we take comes from him. Spiritually, we had nothing, we had no means of making it by ourselves, no means of uh, sorting ourselves out. We are destitute, we are hopeless, we are hungry. But he is the one who gives us all that we have, all that we need and more. Jesus is the one who welcomes us, the foreigner, the outcast, destined to live on the margins. He welcomes us to his table. He says, come and eat. For the weary to come and rest, for the hungry to come and eat, for the thirsty to come and drink, and to come and sit with him. That's good news, isn't it? We receive his grace, his mercy, his love, and his provision, all just lavished upon us more than we can take. Jesus is our provider. The Redeemer welcomes us. The Redeemer protects us. The Redeemer provides for us. And fourthly, and finally, the final characteristic of the, the Redeemer is that he is worthy 
but also willing to redeem. Chapter 3, we, we don't really have time to go into chapter 3, uh, which is a good job because there's some fairly weird stuff that happens in chapter 3, some weird Old Testament stuff that uh, would take too long to explain, but as I say, go read it for yourselves. Uh, there's some fairly um, sort of hard stuff to understand as well, but the gist of chapter 3, if I could sum it up, is that through it all, what we see is Boaz demonstrating what is spoken of him back in uh, chapter 2, that he is a worthy man, that he is righteous, and that he's of good character. And he indicates to, to Ruth that he wants to redeem her. But what he says is there's one closer than him. There's a, a relative closer to him who has the right to redeem first. And our hearts sink a wee bit here. It's like one of those romantic movies or, or love stories. And um, reliably informed, I don't know this for myself, but uh, that sometimes in these stories, uh, there's, there's two people and you think they're going to get together and then somebody else comes along. There's a bit of a bump in the road and it doesn't happen. And we're sort of thinking here, is this, is this what's going to happen here? This other guy is going to come along and he's going to step in front of Boaz and Boaz is going to be left out in the cold. But we see in Boaz's response here that he is an honourable, noble, righteous man. He doesn't try to find a way out of it. He doesn't try to uh, sort of you know, cheat or, or find another way of, of making this work. He wants to do what is right. So he says to Ruth, I'm going to go and meet this guy. I'm going to speak to him. And he gathers the next morning uh, to meet with him. And he tells us this, this other kinsman, this near relative, he says, he tells all the story about Naomi, he tells what's happened with Naomi, and he tells him the fact that there's this piece of land that is for sale, that she's selling. And he says to him, listen, I just want to make you aware that you're the closest kinsman, you're the closest redeemer here, and you've got the first shot at this. He offers him the opportunity to do so, and he makes it clear that if he doesn't want to, then, then Boaz will. So the other guy hears this and, and he says, yes, you know, he's thinking, this is some land I'm going to come into. This is, I've got the money to do this. And he says, yes, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. But then comes the small print. Then comes the fine print in the story. And what it says is that uh, Boaz says to him, that the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. You get Ruth too. And you can almost, you can't, you can't hear it in the story itself, but you can almost hear the screech of brakes as this kinsman, this closer relative, slams on the brakes on this deal. Immediately he changes his mind and says, no, listen, I, I can't redeem this for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And what's changed? What's changed so quickly? He's so keen a minute or two ago just to, to redeem this land, to buy this land, to acquire the estate. But suddenly he's changed his mind. And what the other man is saying is that he is saying no to Ruth. He's saying he's rejecting Ruth. He is saying he's, he's seen the cost that it might be to him and he's not prepared to pay that price. He was happy a minute ago to go along for material gain, when it, but when it might affect his own inheritance, might affect him financially when he's seen the cost of it he wasn't prepared to pay the cost for Ruth suddenly he sees Ruth as this liability he counted the cost of taking on Ruth and he said no I want us to see the, 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 the comparison here with, with Boaz in chapter 4 Boaz immediately shakes a sandal on the deal in chapter 4 again some weird Old Testament rituals you can uh, read that for yourself, but apparently back in the day, this is what they did. 
the, the Shuk sandals on a deal. Uh, we, we, well, we don't even shake hands anymore, but we, we might take that up again, shaking sandals, uh, who want to uh, finish the deal. That's what they did back then. Uh, but this was his way of showing that he was prepared to redeem Ruth. That he had the right to redeem and he didn't hesitate to do it. It reflects something of the worthiness and willingness of Jesus to redeem us as well. See, where the world rejects us or where the world might uh, say, have anything to say about us or the world might overlook us or count us as a liability, Jesus didn't hesitate to redeem us and to love us and to pay the price for us. Jesus, our Redeemer, treasures us. You're not the small print to Jesus that causes others to back out of the deal. You're not seen as a liability, but you're treasured by Jesus. He is willing and able to pay the cost for us and for our redemption. And if you're here today and you're feeling unloved or overlooked, or maybe you're feeling like that small print in the deal that, that you think maybe others back out from, I want you to know this morning that Jesus loves you. He wasn't interested in any other gain for himself, but he gave all that he had for us. He gave his life to pay the price, the cost of our redemption. He wasn't begrudgingly debating it in his own head whether it's worth it, whether we're worth it. But he paid the cost willingly for us. His redemptive love for us is unwavering, it's unalterable, and it's given freely to you and I. Jesus was the only one worthy to redeem us, and he's the only one willing to redeem us. The Redeemer is one who is worthy and willing to redeem. And as we look at this, the overview of this story uh, this morning, as we see God's hand in Ruth's life, as we see God's hand in all the, the steps along the way, his sovereign hand, God is in the details of our lives. Whatever is going on for us, whatever we're going through, God is in the fine detail. We've seen how Jesus, as our Redeemer, sees us, how he uh, pursues us, how he welcomes us, how he protects us from harm, how he provides for us, lavishly, just lavishly flowing his grace upon us, how he invites us to the table with him, how he was worthy and how he was willing to redeem. We can see these themes from this book of Ruth. But what's the the greater significance, what's the big significance of this story of Ruth and Boaz? I said earlier that it wasn't just a personal love story between Ruth and Boaz. What purpose did this all take place for? And we see in chapter 4 that Boaz marries Ruth. We're told that Ruth gives birth to a little boy, and that little boy's name was Obed. Obed then grew up to have a little son called Jesse. And then Jesse grew up to have a little lad called David. Not just any David, but King David, King David of Israel. And as prophesied through the line of David, would come generations and generations and generations later, a Messiah. And all these generations later comes a little boy born to a virgin mother, born into squalor, born into adversity born to be king of the world, born to be a saviour of the world, and born to be our redeemer, Jesus. The same Jesus who we celebrate the arrival of during this Advent season. The same Jesus who we look forward to returning in the future again. The same Jesus who came to rescue us, 
to save us, to buy us back, to redeem us by his blood and by his sacrifice. In this story, we can look at Boaz and we can think Boaz was a great guy. And, and the scriptures tell us, that the passage tells us that he was a man of good character, he was worthy, he was righteous, he was a good man. But this story ultimately points to someone much greater, much greater Boaz, much greater Redeemer, and that is Jesus. And we see that through this book. Just as we come to a close and what I want to leave us with this morning, in the light of all that, is the words that are spoken in chapter 4, verse 14. These women have gathered and they're, they're with Naomi and they're talking to Naomi about the, the, the birth of Obed. And they said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. And these words are prophetic. These words for, for Naomi, but they're also for us as well. As we can see now, through all the line of Ruth, from Ruth right on down through generations and generations, we can see that we have also not been left without a Redeemer. Our God has not left us without a Redeemer. And may his name, Jesus, be renowned in all of the earth. Jesus is our Redeemer. And as we gather to, to worship this morning, as we come to worship now in the next few minutes, come to respond to what God has done. May we see in this story, may we see in the story of Ruth and of Boaz, not just them, but we see the bigger picture. We see the redemption that God has given to us. We see Jesus as our Redeemer, the one who, who's seen us, who welcomes us, who provides for us, who protects us, and who's willing to pay the cost for us at the cross. As we worship, may we do so in the light of that, and in the light of what God has done. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, we thank you for how you have redeemed us, though we had nothing to offer, though we were uh, weak and vulnerable, though we had uh, nothing to, um, to bring to you, but you have redeemed our lives as we trust in you and trust in your sacrifice, Jesus. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We, uh, we thank you uh, for this story and this opportunity to look at the life of Ruth and of, of Boaz. We thank you that it gets to point on to a much greater redeemer even than Boaz. And Jesus, as we come and gather this morning, as we respond in worship, as we take communion, as we reflect upon your sacrifice for us. May our hearts burst when we fall on our faces before you in gratitude for what you have done. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Lord, we are grateful to you. May we worship you now, Jesus. All for your glory. Amen.